Welcome to the Disambiguation Podcast, where each week we try to remove some of the confusion around AI and business automation by talking to experts across a broad spectrum of business use cases and the supporting technology. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. If you're new to the show, we release a new episode on Fridays as a podcast on all the major channels, as a video on YouTube, and we also post a transcript uh, on the Arian uh, Research blog. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, no-code AI platforms, and I'm excited to be joined by, and I'll bring them into the stream, uh, Nathaniel Mahold and Mike Gioia. Um, so Nathaniel is co-founder and CEO of Pickaxe. It's a no-code AI platform. He has a background as a data scientist, certified as a machine learning engineer, graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in data science. Mike's the co-founder of Pickaxe. He studied at Stanford, then worked in television writer rooms. He's not on strike, apparently, uh, for years. And uh, since then, he's worked uh, developing pipelines to produce high-quality, highly variable results from large language models. So welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, it's fun. I uh, I I did sign up for uh, for your platform, uh, Pickaxe, and uh, just been looking around a little bit, but I haven't done much with it. So we can talk a bit today about that. But I, I just to kick things off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Pickaxe, how you came up with the idea, what you wanted to do with it, and sort of where you're going with it. What are your goals? Totally. Um, well, we came up with the idea just playing around with large language models back in like the summer of 2022. We were both really excited by the technology. We built several sort of fun projects. Um, and increasingly, we felt we needed some sort of easier system to manage the prompts and publish them in a way that anybody could use. And we kind of ended up spinning up this no-code solution, Pickaxe, which is a website to or service that's all no-code that lets you uh, turn prompts into prompt templates and then into apps, basically, that you can share with anybody or put on your website. That's cool. So so what what, uh, what kind of things are people doing with the platform today? I know you, you let people in and you can set up a project and build things out, but like, what are some of the cool things people are doing? We've seen pretty much every kind of use case you can imagine. And, you know, because we've been doing this for quite some time now, at least in the span of you know, um, the time that this AI technology has been really uh, on the cutting on the on the cutting edge of people's minds. Uh, we've seen all kinds of different use cases, um, primarily our customers broken into two categories, internal business use cases and kind of external facing business use cases. We've got several customers that sell access to these tools. Um, we've got a lot of coaches, consultants and course creators who um, are educating people, they're, they're maybe sales consultants, they're, uh, they're SEO consultants. And as part of the education that they're doing, they are uh, putting these little AI tools that they've curated into their uh, courses so that people can be better kind of, uh, you know, educated more quickly. They can get more real-time examples and feedback from what they're doing. And then as far as internal use cases, we have organizations that want to get uh, more complex use cases from LLMs, um, companies that are onboarding new employees and don't want to have the constant pestering of, uh, of the, these new folks. And that, you know, if there's some best practices, they can embed them in a chat bot. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are just a sampling of, of a couple of the different use cases that we've seen um, uh, so far. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So, so I mean, obviously, we mentioned large language models and and um, you know generative AI and that sort of thing. But but just you know, so that um, the audience has a better idea of what we're talking about when we talk about a no code uh, platform and all the technologies that could be associated around that. Can you give us just a little bit more uh, depth on sort of what you built and um, and and its capabilities? Right. So. <clears throat> Uh, what you can do with Pickaxe is if you've ever had a really good conversation with ChatGPT and you've gotten it to behave in the way that you wanted it to behave, uh, now you can basically share that experience with other people without exposing to them all the things you did to get it to behave that way. So you can take that really great setup, you can put it into a little tool, you can then stick that tool on your website or just share it with people via a link. And they can interact with it like either a form or a chat bot. Um, and they can see what, uh, you know, they can get the results that you would have gotten. It, it, nice. So, so, um, so, so then you have uh, the capability to use that and your, whatever your use case is, you can, you can, can build off of that. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, so, since we're talking about prompts, this is one of those things that I, uh, I keep having a lot of conversations with people about because it, it is, um, it is as much art as anything, I think at this stage, or maybe it is science and I'm just too dumb to know. Um, but, uh, but can tell us, tell what tips do you have? I mean, how do you build a good prompt? Well, you really have to think about what you're doing. I mean, I think the metaphor we use internally is it's like talking to a reasonably intelligent college intern. Uh, who can follow directions, but can't really do that much uh, original thinking on their own. So basically, you have to imagine you're writing really, really, really clear instructions to um, a reasonably smart person. And a big part of that is what you might call context injection. Mm -hmm. injection. So make sure you're giving it the right information at the right time. Um, and at the level of a single prompt, um, there's a lot you can do, but only so much. But then as you start to chain these things together or introduce like, trained models, there's a lot more interesting things you can do. Um, but basically, I'd say the number, there's a lot of specific rules, but the number one rule is just use common sense and try to be very, very clear and very, very explicit. Um, and then you can kind of get a little bit more advanced where these prompts are quite long sometimes, like the models have what you call a context window, like how much text it can understand at once. But don't mistake yourself that it has pays like equal attention to everything you say. The same way you might be reading an email, from somebody, the most important things are probably in the top or the bottom or in bold or put in headers, same sort of thing. If you bury important instructions like in the middle of a prompt of the sentence, it might not pay attention to it, right? The, mm -hmm. These models have what you might call attention and they pay more attention to the beginning, uh, to the end, all sorts of things. Um, and then the final tip really is what you're saying, Michael, which is uh, this is not a science, it's an art so you or a craft, so play around, trial and error, um, and we like to think Pickaxe is a wonderful place to do that. We have this no code builder where you can quickly test and iterate these sorts of things. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fun. I mean, just, I've been using, you know, all several different platforms to just kind of get more familiar and do some different things. And, and, you know, I, I, for research and that sort of thing, it's important. And sometimes I'll have it, you know, write a paragraph, you know, whether it's an email response or whatever. But one of the things that I saw was um, it, you have to be really clear about, about how, what you want the output to look like. Like I, 
I want this to be professional and uh, technical. I want this to be, you know, easy to understand for an eight-year-old or whatever, right? It seemed like that really made a big difference once I sort of figured that out. Is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, at one experiment I think I've seen some folks write about, and we've definitely done it internally, is just um, go on to uh, ChatGPT or come on to Pickaxe um, and uh, ask it ask it to explain um, something complicated like gravity to a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, etc. The amount of kind of uh, slight difference that it, it kind of takes on over the course as you go up in age there is a testament to how we don't even realize, we don't even think about the differences in explaining this type of thing to a six-year-old versus a 10-year-old, but right. it has an understanding of that. And honestly, it teaches us a little bit about mm. uh, human development. Now, a lot of folks come to us and they want to skip that process. What they want to do is, is they say, okay, well, yeah, I could, you know, take time to, to really think carefully about the type of outputs that I want to get, but mm -hmm. I'd prefer to just upload hundreds of pages of written content or, you know, um, the documents from my business that, that, you know, capture in their essence, uh, what mm -hmm. the type of result I'd like to get. And what's really interesting, um, that we've seen is, is, you know, if you were to give that task to a smart intern, as we discuss, Hey, read all the 200 pages or 500 pages that my company produced and uh, give me a really high quality result. That would be a very wild task for that person to do. You could get a whole different array of results. However, if you take the time to work with them and to whittle down some sort of kind of uh, cheat sheet of what the best practices are for sounding and talking like your company in the span of one to two pages, then all of a sudden that intern could totally, mm. uh, you know, go ahead and write more content like that. So taking the time to, to build the good prompt, at least in the present, is still miles better, faster, more effective, more controllable than just handing over a bunch of documents and crossing your fingers. Yeah, that I, I noticed some of the tools that I've played around with have started to have things like, um, input information about your brand. So it, so it sort of builds guardrails around it, I guess, to say, oh, you use your default style is usually this it's conversational or it's, you know, whatever that seems like that works, uh, that, and I, and I assume that just augments the prompts that I'm putting in. So, yeah, absolutely. so one of the things in, in the survey that I, I did earlier this month about AI adoption, one of the questions that I asked was, um, you know, are you a publicly available, you know, open model? Are you using your own proprietary model? Are you doing some sort of around it? So, I'm, and, and, and it was, you know, it was pretty mixed, um, which I think, you know, people are doing lots of different things, but one of the, one of the use cases that I've heard a lot is, oh, I want to use, you know, one of the large, like, chat GPT or BARD or Claude or something, but I want to use my data too. So how do you do that? And how do you do that safely? Because obviously you don't want to train something publicly on things you don't want public, but at the same time, having your data involved is, is an important part of the project. That's a really good question. It's kind of the question of the hour as, <laughs> uh, you know, as I think we've been seeing. 
And there's a couple different answers. So I, we can go through maybe, you know, three phases. Phase number one is most of these tools have pretty good um, privacy agreements with you. So, you know, if you use OpenAI's API, um, they won't train based on your data. OpenAI just released uh, Enterprise GPT, yeah. I believe, or, uh, and they say they won't train on your data. So you can trust them with that. That's maybe step one. Um, step two, um, as we've been seeing is don't really train them on your data, but use something like pickaxes document interrogation feature that, um, basically pulls in just the relevant bits of your data right when they're needed and injects them into the prompt to make, um, to give the impression that this bot has full knowledge of everything that you're doing. But then the real cutting edge that we're seeing was step three. And just last night, actually, we launched our pickaxe model that we've built ourselves on open source technology, um, but that, you know, we're able to completely own and license and run ourselves is that very soon within the next three or four months, um, you know, chat quality results are going to be easily obtainable from models that are completely self-hosted um and uh, you know so you are not going to have to go to OpenAI or bard to do that and you know we want to we are becoming a provider for um you know um spinning up and training those models and making sure that they're kind of bespoke and tailored to an individual company but i think we're going to be really wowed at the speed with which we forget about ChatGPT once once uh the proliferation of these models starts to occur. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, that, that makes sense because obviously if I'm doing something like say, I want to put a chat bot on my, uh, on my research website and I want it to answer questions about my blog and my, um, and my research reports. Right. I mean, that seems like a really good use case for it. You could have people could ask questions or interrogate or whatever. Um, but I, but I would be, you know, I'd be concerned about the data, but that makes a lot of sense that I could actually contain it into my world of knowledge and, and build it off of that. So, um, which leads me to another part of this, cause I know you're, you know, some of this, uh, some of, some of the way people interact with pickaxes to just come on the site and do a project for yourself. Right. But yes. you're also doing some really interesting projects. And we talked a little bit about a few of them when we were getting, when we were prepping for this. So I'm just curious if you could share a few of those use cases for, you know, for businesses to just help put it in context for people. Cause we, you know, we hear so much about generative AI and chat GPT and it, supposed to save the world and you know all those good things and and yet i i don't it seems like we're a little bit light on the yeah but you could do this thing with it and and some of the shows i've done like i did one for marketing and that was really interesting there's a lot of use cases there but but what are some of the things you guys are seeing totally well so for us it's very important to provide like the best no code solutions and to do that we can stay at the edge of this technology so we're constantly working with businesses to do very difficult things for them with AI solutions that we can then, you know, bring back these features into our platform. Mm -hmm. um, and we can maybe give you a couple examples. A more hardcore business one is there is like a um, auction house and they have, we can't really say which one, but there's an auction house. They're pulling data from all sorts of places, like 15, 20 places. So all the data they have about their um, auction items are formatted differently, right? And they need a um, system that can take in 
badly formatted, dissimilar info, and always guaranteed like 99.99% success rate, spit out a, a uniformly formatted um, JSON object that has all the information that they can just drop on their website. Mm-hmm. And then the item information appears. Um, so just, a, I don't know if that was like too much, but basically no, messy information, but they want every of these millions of items they have, they want all of them to appear on their website the same. And so, just um, on the note of like, why would a company use pickaxe for that when there are companies out there that for years that have done similar types of data processing work and have specialized in that space? The reason is because those companies are behind on like what these new solutions can do. So you need a no-code builder where you can kind of work by putting pieces together to kind of build the solution of the modern age, mm-hmm. as opposed to using these kind of solutions that have existed for, for some mm-hmm. time. So these large language models are very smart and could handle really bad data, basically, in a way that um, other stuff could. So basically, by training a model on millions of examples, you can then guarantee you could have this thing that just is outputting all these um, mm. examples well. And then one that's maybe a little bit more fun is we've also been working with some uh, screenwriting some production companies to help like augment the early stages of screenwriting. So mm. thing called coverage where they read tons of books and they need to basically write a book report about it and talk about how it would look if it was um, turned into a script. So basically we've kind of uh, started to automate that process for them so they can more quickly cover material and then get writers working on the scripts faster. Mm. Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, the, the first use case I thought was um, was really relevant uh, from an e-commerce perspective because I think, um, and, and there's some subtleties in that. I mean, I mean, you can get an e-commerce platform, it can do some similar-ish things, but what you're saying is, if I understood this correctly, that you can take all this unstructured data and turn that into a repeatable format that's going to always deliver the mm-hmm. way you want things to be displayed on your website, whether it's merchandise or, you know, whatever. Remember the reasonably smart college intern. You can teach a college, reasonably smart college intern how to look at data and then um, create like a simple JSON object with 10 fields always out of the data. And then you can teach a model how to do it. Yeah. All right. That, that actually, um, that's maybe one of the better ways for people to think about this too, is uh, think about it at the level of a, of a good college intern that you could, mm-hmm. uh, that you could try. Yeah, so it's more complicated than just, you know, mundane, repeatable work. It requires a little bit of brain power, but um, these GPT models have enough brain power to do that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, what, take this out of the, what you've done and just, th- let's just think about practical application at some level. What, if, what is the potential for businesses today? Like what could they do with it today versus, I don't know. Some of the hype seems like it might be a bit of, of in the future it would do, which is fine. But if I'm a business person and I want to solve problems, I mean, what are some of the top business challenges that companies can address with generative AI? It's a good question. I think that uh, people, you know, we go through this hype cycle. People say, hey, I think maybe this is overhyped, but it's not. I mean, um, it's not going to take everybody's job in the entire economy, but um, it will start to be sewn into the fabric of many of the different software tools that we use. Um, If we're talking about what the earliest things that are going to hopefully go away are, 
Um, this is something we talk about a lot internally. It's anything that people uh, don't want to write and people don't want to read. So in business and in life, there's tons of documents that people either don't want to be writing or other people don't want to be reading. I mean, one of the big um, organizations that uses pickaxe in a kind of a self-serve capacity are um, college essay um, uh, hmm. uh, coaching services um, who are, you know, helping people to, you know, uh, fine tune and work to, to generate better college essays. And I think it's only a matter of time before we start getting universities who want college essay reading services so that <laughs> no human is involved at any stage of that process, or at least not in the initial filtering. Um, so to answer your question, um, you know, if you are in business and you're kind of uh, doing a, a task where you're like, I don't know why I need to write in this weird way or in such detail. I mean, a customer of ours is a, uh, is a, uh, is in healthcare and and they are uh, they are uh, using this to uh, help uh, uh, folks to uh, write medical reports that would be really time consuming mm -hmm. to write otherwise. Um, so anytime when you're in business and you're doing that, um, you you can just think this can be automated mm -hmm. in the next few months, really. Mm -hmm. I, I, so see, you got me excited now because I want you to, I want you to write one that goes through my email every day and deletes all of it, except for those two things I actually needed. Um, <laughs> I mean, that'd be talking about saving time. Uh, no, you know, the other, the other question that comes up for businesses, I think right now is, should I jump in? Should I do something now? And, and people, you know, individuals too, not, not just for companies. I mean, this is kind of a, interesting question for for everybody like do you need to know should you learn now when's the right time to get in um and so i mean what do you tell because you talk to a lot of uh, pro prospects and customers i mean what do you tell them when sh when is is it time now or is it uh not, not quite there it's not, it's not the time to go full ai that's a little, little crazy but it's absolutely the time to start experimenting with this at least internally to see what you can um where you can affect your business, where you can be more uh, effective, where you can work faster. Um, so it's absolutely time to spend, you know, invest some time and reasonable resources in exploring it. Um, but also the space is moving so quickly, I'd be a little hesitant to build like a full AI stack or bring in a full research AI research team, which is really where Pickaxe uh, shines. It's a pretty easy way to like quickly prototype some AI workflows, right? You can quickly spin up tools, um, start connecting them, maybe even dabble in like training a model without having to, you know, make your whole system rely on it. Mm. Um, so, um, a lot of our customers really are sort of experimenting with AI workflows via pickaxe. We see like, um, you know, folks are, they realize that their competitors are all using ChatGPT. They understand that this AI is changing the way that they do business. They don't want to spin up a whole AI research team, um, you know. Uh, Pickaxe is kind of the 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 low barrier to entry point mm -hmm. for you know starting to see where in your business this technology can be helpful and where maybe it's uh, it won't be helpful yet for another couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I think the limit a lot of people hit is that ChatGPT is a um, you know generic model for general purpose applications. 
So it seems really cool when you first get in there and it writes the blog post immediately, but you realize it's only about 80% of what you need. And in the business world, you can't be getting B minuses on your right. jobs, right? You need, to be, <laughs> you need to be getting 90% or higher. Um, so really uh, businesses should just be exploring how to achieve that 90% success rate or higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prompt templating or prompt chaining, these sorts of things are probably the lowest hanging fruit to um, achieving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I know for for some of the other folks that I've had on, uh, when I asked, because I almost always ask this question, when's the right time? One, one of the things that came up, um, you know, and and I know there's a lot of fear around jobs, and you mentioned it already too. I mean, it, it's a it's, you know, oh oh no, what what jobs are going to go away? And and actually, even in the survey when I asked it, it was interesting because more people thought that there were going to be a lot of new jobs created around it than necessarily thought that, that it's going to automate, you know, lots of stuff away. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, interesting, but from an individual standpoint, do, do you, do business people today, do you need to understand and be at least dabbling with, um, with generative AI right now? I mean, is it important from a career perspective, do you think? I mean, look, we're biased here, but we would say 150% absolutely. I mean, the the customers that we work with are primarily early adopters, if we're going to be honest here. These are the people that are always kind of dedicating some time and some resources to looking at whatever the new thing is going to be. Hmm. But even if you don't want to use it internally within your organization, you need to spend time figuring out how people are using it to understand what your competitors are doing, to understand when you are getting a business deal and the contract seems strangely like it's been written with some AI tool. There was a recent case of a lawyer who uh, I think was disbarred because he used uh, this AI. So it's going to be a for, for every professional working in America, it's going to be essential to understand the type of mm-hmm. ways these technologies work at a high level. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I will say that that attorney, that, that case I've used a few times because I think it's really interesting that he generated an entire brief uh, and filed it with all the citations and 100% of the citations were made up. Um, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, so, you know, it's not always perfect. I mean, there are issues there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we're in this space. So right now we're training a model and we're trying to basically, um, the technology people are using to do it and the techniques are changing week by week, day by day almost. So, um, there are a lot of people like for my, my uncle has a Substack and writes a lot about culture and music. And he, um, is kind of against AI or he, wrote a piece about how, oh, you know, the verdict is out. AI is not that useful. And it's true that AI has a lot of limitations right now, but it's the worst it's ever going to be today, pretty much. And it's yeah. only going to get better. And there are people all over the internet, all over the world, working really, really, really hard um, on improving it. And then they're sharing all their a lot of their research online in like subreddits and YouTube videos, these sorts of things. So it's improving at like an astonishing rate, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it, if it's not super helpful for you today, it very well could be even next week, honestly. If you read the uh, that uh, Google piece that I sent you, and maybe we could even link it in the, in the podcast here, um, they go over kind of how um, they're basically saying, hey, we, 
we are going to fall behind. Everybody's going to fall behind. Open source community is moving so fast. They're even outpacing us, this giant billion dollar company with the most resources of any organization pretty much in the, in the world, you know, as far as AI development. And that's just a testament to how quickly things are getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, I was, um, I was writing something the other day and I, and as a part of it, I ended up going back and reading the Gary Kasparov um, chess uh, game story against uh, IBM's uh, Deep Blue in the nineties. And, uh, and it was funny cause I, my memory of it was very different than I think once I went back and I researched it, what I learned was uh, that Kasparov, you know, lost six games in a row, but he, he was very upset by it at first, but pretty soon after he started to realize that, Hey, here's an opportunity. You could actually change the game and do this sort of human machine, you know, combination. And it'd be great. And they, and they'd be better than just a person or a machine. And for a while that was true, but in the mid two thousands or 2010 ish or so by then everything had advanced to the point where that wasn't true anymore. Putting the human in the mix with the machine made the machine badder, worse than it would have been <laughs> if it was on its own. And and it 100% of the time beat every anybody that was playing chess. So I, but my point, I guess, is that you, you being in early and learning it is important, but also realize this is going to continue to evolve. So you can't just learn a thing and you're done. This is going to be an evolutionary process for all of us. I mean, would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, and, and the funny thing about chess versus the world economy is that, you know, the rules are constantly changing in the world economy and, yeah. uh, and it's made of people at the end of the day, you know, the AIs don't currently have money and buy it, you know, t- t- for the most part, people are the ones that we're trying to provide goods and services for. Yeah. So at, at the end of the day, it's not going to, at least from our perspective, uh, go in the direction of fully uh, automating out in any kind of a way, but working with AI is something that people are, you know, going to have to get more used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now I want to, we're getting close to time on this, but there are a couple other things that I really wanted to make sure covered. And one of them is there are a lot of no code platforms popping up. There are a lot of startups doing AI, no code platforms of some sort. Right. And so I'm curious for you guys, cause you, you, you have a set of, of uh, capabilities you've built out, you're adding to them, you got your roadmap. I mean, what sets Pickaxe apart from some of these other no-code platforms? Uh, totally. I think probably just where we focus and what our emphasis is on. So our emphasis is very much on getting you the best results possible. Um, basically, you might say prompt improvement, results improvement. Like we talked to a ton of our customers a lot of them want this tiny feature, this tiny integration or this. But the thing all of them are curious about is like, how do they actually make their prompts better? How do they get better results right. from these things? So that's, um, our builder is a pretty good place for that. And pretty much all of our future uh, features are focused on that. Like the reason we're training models right now is to figure out how to take, you know, let people um, give feedback on their responses and basically train the prompts, train a model to do what they want to do. Um, we view a future where people are going to want to deploy these things and they're going to have very strong opinions on this is good, this is bad, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. Um, and we want to be able to reinforce the model in that. So again, like ChatGPT, very generic purpose thing. A lot of these no-code platforms, they only plug into generic models. Um, very much our focus is how can we give you your personal uh, area and research model, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, results, that sort of thing. 
Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, because I think eventually that's, you know, if you're a business, that's, you're going to need that, right? You're going to need it tailored to specifically what you're trying to do. Like ChatGPT might be great for a marketer that's, you know, a content marketer that wants some ideas about what to write about or, or, mm. or way to improve a little, but you're not going to, you're not going to get the same thing that you get if, if you have something that understands your branding and your brand and your data and Absolutely. customers and all those things. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the other thing I might throw in there is I think we are easier to use. Maybe I'm biased, but that's what a lot of people tell us. They tell us a lot of people come to us after trying another no code AI solution to work very easy to use and very easy to embed. So mm -hmm. after you make your app, you can your website or your like SharePoint, your dashboard in about five seconds. Um, so it's just fast and easy. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and I mean, today that's uh, obviously we're all learning. And, um, and so that's, I think that's really important um, to the simplicity and making it so that it's easier for people to get their hands in because that's how they're going to learn. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so what, where's pickaxe going? What do you guys see? two years from now, five years from now, what would you like to have um, besides, you know, selling a lot of subscriptions and making a lot of money, which you know, <laughs> <not yet. laughs> um, Where, where's it headed? <laughs> well, what we have really enjoyed is working with smaller organizations. We started working with just solopreneurs and individual mm -hmm. consultants. And now our largest customers are still organizations with no, no more than, you know, 20 people actually onboarded onto the product. And, and so, you know, we want to continue to focus on that and um, help these small organizations act like they have 10 times as many people as they, mm. as they do uh, as they kind of transact their business. Um, at the present moment, our consumer and like kind of marketed to the public product is more about prompt engineering and prompt improvement. Mm. And we have a document interrogation feature that kind of allows you to get a little bit more of your information in there. But our goal for the next year is to completely flesh out this smooth transition between coming in with nothing, um, no training data, you don't have an ML team, starting with prompt engineering and explaining, adding in your own documents, and then transitioning to a completely custom model that, you know, is 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 basically owned by you and and and, uh, and only provided through us. So getting people from zero to completely custom, bespoke, and amazing model for them in a no-code way is the product that we are building over the next year. And we hope to be selling that to <laughs> hundreds of organizations over the next year so that um, yeah. they can all kind of take that journey with us together. I mean, to me, that, that seems like the biggest challenge for a lot of people is, um, is the, is the base level of knowledge you need to write a good prompt to get the things you want out of the model that you're, you know, that you're in, th that you intend. Um, and so to make that simpler for, for a small business, that has to be a great force multiplier for them. So that, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's all the time we have today. Uh, so first of all, Nathaniel, Mike, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. It's uh, very interesting what you guys are doing. And I, I said, just did set up an account and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to put my hands in there and do some work on it myself. Um, but before I let you go, one question I like to ask is, um, 
is could, could you recommend someone, you know, thought leader, an author, some mentor that's influenced your career that you'd like to share with people so they can, you know, take, take advantage of that? Hmm. Um, uh, for me, the one that comes to mind is just uh, what I've been reading recently is probably Charlie Munger. Very smart guy, always learning. 90, in his, he's like 93, 94, still learning a lot. Um, so his advice is just kind of keep it simple, stupid, and focus on what you can be really good at. Um, so yeah, if you have, if you know, check out his interviews on YouTube, read the Tao, Tao Charlie Munger, really infectiously uh, cool guy. Yeah, I'll check it out. That's great. It gives me something to shoot for. 93, that's impressive. <laughs> How about you, Nathaniel? Anybody you want to uh, add in there? Yeah, I guess I would say that uh, reading uh, Paul Graham is it's kind of a standard answer for a lot of people, but uh, he's another big proponent of keeping it simple and paying attention to what matters. Um, there are a lot of mentors for pickaxe that mentor us interpersonally, and I would love to talk about them, but in terms of what you could actually read or anybody could actually read, uh, Paul Graham, I think, is the number one. Great. Great recommendation. Thank I you. One other one there, but maybe sure. actionable. Kobus Grayling, as a medium, talks about how to get good results from LLMs, how to mm. build lines. Really great. I would check him out. Kobus Grayling. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Thank you. Well, so thanks again for everyone for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you, Nathaniel, Mike, for, for, uh, for sharing with us. Um, just a reminder, remember to hit that subscribe button before you leave today. And for more on AI, you can check out on the area and research uh, website. We published a report a couple of weeks ago on AI adoption. That's based on a survey from, uh, from this month. So it's very current, which frankly, you have to be in, in the world of AI or you're, you're outdated. Uh, and it's a free download who doesn't like free research. Um, and then next week, join us, uh, for a discussion of AI and intelligent chatbots. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.